Well, if you're not already there, turn in your Bible to Genesis 29. This evening we're going to finish that chapter and get into chapter 30. We are following Jacob. He has left home for Haran. God has met him at Bethel. He has affirmed his covenant that he made with Abraham. He said to Jacob, basically, I'm going to fulfill it through you. And we saw last week Jacob arrive at Haran. He met Laban, and more importantly, he met his wife-to-be Rachel. And he got his wife-to-be Rachel, but not before he got Leah as well. So uh, he's got two wives, and he's going to get more wives, and we're going to see that tonight. More wives, and at long last for a man who's been promised descendants, children as well. Jacob's sons are born in the passage we're going to read. Well, most of them are born anyway, and one daughter. And these will all be important because while Abraham only had one son through whom the promises would carry on, and Isaac only had one son through whom the promises would carry on, it's all of Jacob's sons who would share in the promises. The promised, of course, the promised Messiah, the one who would crush the head of the serpent eventually, would only come through one tribe, one one son. But all of Jacob's sons would be children of Israel. All of Jacob's sons would be the chosen people. So for that reason, we cannot ignore this text. This is a very important text. Plus, you've got wives feuding here in a manner reality show producers could appreciate. But above all, what we're going to see here is the sovereignty and faithfulness of God over everything as he is developing his plan, as he's, he's putting forth his plan even despite human sin. So let's read, and, and this passage really is the kind of passage that lends itself to doing it in parts. So let's just do the first part first. And let's look at the last five verses of chapter 29, starting in verse 31. And this is what we read. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, He has therefore given me this also, this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi. And and she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing So we've got four sons, the first four sons of Jacob born in this first passage. And there is a lot to get through here. But right away, we see one of the great themes of Scripture being played out in this passage. And it's one that you and I would do well to acknowledge. And it's how God sees the suffering of his people and he responds to it. God sees the suffering of his people and he responds to it. Of course, The most notable way that God does this is at the cross of Christ. God sees the suffering of his people because of sin, and he sent Jesus to address that in the most amazing way possible. 
This is also a theme later on in, in Exodus when Moses is going to be called by God to deliver his people from Israel. God will say, I have heard the cries. I have heard the, the suffering of my people. And now we see it in, in chapter 29 on a smaller scale, but it is there. God is concerned for Leah, for Leah in this passage. The Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Now some translations, like the King James, use the term hated there. They say that Leah was hated. Unloved is, is better, but even that really doesn't convey the thought of what's being said here. So I want us to understand correctly, to say that Leah was unloved does not mean Jacob didn't love her. Now what I mean by that is, well, verse 34 actually clues us in. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. So Jacob did love Leah. It was just clear to everyone, including Leah, that he loved Rachel more. That Rachel was to be greatly preferred. So Leah was unloved by comparison to Rachel, but she was loved. Rachel was the apple of Jacob's eye. Leah was the other wife, the other woman. And we see this kind of comparison scripture, or this comparison language used in scripture other places. We have been in Luke, and in Luke we saw that, J that Jesus basically says that you've got to hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, or you cannot be my disciple. But what Jesus is saying there is not that you actually hate your mother and your father because we're supposed to love them and we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to love them. But the point that Jesus is making there is you have to be so supremely devoted to Christ. You have to be so in love with Jesus, so devoted to Jesus, that every other love, as strong as it may be, seems like hate by comparison. That's how strongly we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart. And Jacob himself is the subject of this kind of comparison language uh, in Malachi. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Paul quotes that in Romans. But the point is not that God hated Esau, it's that he loved Jacob with a special salvific covenant love. Jacob was the son of promise, Esau was not. Jacob was the object of God's saving love, Esau was not. Jacob was the object of grace, Esau was not. And, and the covenant promise, Esau was not. And so likewise here, Rachel is the object of Jacob's special love, and Leah is not. Jake, uh, Leah is loved, but Rachel is really, really, really loved. So the sense we get in these first few years is that Jacob is much more attached to Rachel than he is to Leah. And that's not to be unexpected because we already know he, he is smitten with Rachel. He is deeply in love with Rachel. Leah was taken care of, but Jacob was more of a husband to Rachel than he was to Leah. So Leah was slighted, but not to God. While Jacob gave preference to Rachel, God saw the suffering of Leah, and he gives her grace by opening her womb first. Leah is the first wife through whom the covenant promises to Jacob would begin to come to fruition. She has four sons, seemingly in rapid succession. So first, verse 32, she gives birth to Reuben. Now Reuben, his name literally means see a son, as if 
Leah is, is giving Jacob a message. See, I'm the one, not her, not Rachel. I'm the one who has given you a son. And she, she does acknowledge the Lord in it because the Lord has seen my affliction. Surely now my husband will love me. And that's something we're going to continue to see throughout this passage we're looking at. But Leah was, was probably not the first woman, and she certainly wasn't the last to think a child could solve the problems in her marriage. But she, she thought having Reuben would change Jacob's heart toward her. Well, she was wrong because in verse 33, she gives birth to Simeon, who means, uh, which means one who hears. Simeon means one who hears. And what that indicates to us is that she has gone to the Lord with her misery, with her continuing misery, because the Lord has heard that I am in love, she said. He has therefore given me this son also. So one son didn't change things. Maybe two will change things. Well, apparently not, because look at verse 34. Here comes a third son. Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And she names this third son Levi, which means attached. So what she wants from Jacob, she's still not getting. And this indicates, by the way, what I mentioned last week, that it's very likely that in that whole deception Laban giving Leah to Rachel instead of, uh, giving Leah to Jacob instead of Rachel, that, that Leah going along with this, this indicates that she very likely wanted to be Jacob's wife all along. But life is not as glorious being Jacob's wife as she thought it would be. Of course, she has to compete with her sister. Now, finally, in verse 35, she has been taking her, her troubles to the Lord, her misery to the Lord. He's given her three sons and now a fourth. And this time she says something different. And this time she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And she names him Judah, which means praise. By the way, Levi means attached. I, I, I don't know if I've said that, but Levi means attached. Judah means praise. So what we see here is the names of Leah's first three sons reveal the state of her mind with each of them when they were born. They're, they're like a commentary on her thoughts. But the name of Judah is different because it, it reflects she may have come to the point where no matter what her husband thought of her, she realized the Lord was being good to her with these sons, and Judah's name would be a perpetual reminder to her to praise the Lord, to praise Yahweh. Now, that doesn't mean Leah's still not going to have problems, because we're going to see she still has these feelings, and, 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 and it's going to come across. But it should be noted, and I do believe this is significant, beloved, Judah is the only son whose name is not accompanied by an explanation of what the mother was thinking, and that goes for the, the, the sons that are to come as well, even the one we're not going to look at tonight. Judah stands alone in that respect, and the significance is that the Messiah is going to come from Judah. The Messiah is going to come from that son's line, from that tribe. Through Judah is going to come our greatest source of and our greatest reason for praise, Jesus Christ. So I think the fact that his name is different, that, that it is conveyed to us in a different way, is significant there. Well, we do read at the end of verse 35 that Leah stops bearing children. Now, no doubt, 
her fertility had led Jacob to spend more and more time with her, even if his heart is not attached to her as she wants it to be. Because you know, she, Jacob would spend more time with her because she's the one bearing sons. She's the one uh, giving him children. But it does become clear at a point that she's not bearing children anymore. And so Rachel sees this, and she sees an opportunity, an opportunity to win back her husband's affections, which may have been drifting away in her mind and drifting Leah's way. She wasn't conceiving yet, but she does see this opportunity. So let's look at verses 1 through 8 in chapter 30. And this is where things really get topsy-turvy. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children or I, or else I die. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? She said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her that she may bear on my knees that through her I too may have children. So she gave him her maid Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she named him Dan. Rachel's made Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So, ja so Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Naphtali. So you have to know that over the course of these years, Rachel is growing to feel more resented by Leah because even though Leah's having children, she's still not attached to her husband the way she wants to be. And Rachel probably resents Leah more as well. And as much as says she becomes jealous of her. Jacob is supposed to be her husband, but Leah was given to him first. Leah's older, and yet the man who was her husband loves her younger sister more. Rachel's the favored wife, but she can't give Jacob the children to fulfill the covenant promises. She's barren like Jacob's mother and Jacob's grandmother before her. And finally, she has this outburst of frustration and jealousy and says, Give me children or else I die. Now, Jacob, he's probably spent less time in Rachel's bed than he used to have since it was Leah giving him children. Rachel no doubt figures if Jacob's with her more, the chances of him giving her children, or her giving him children, would increase. But apart from that, this is just petulant whining. Because she had to know it wasn't Jacob's fault that she wasn't getting pregnant. He was producing, obviously. It just wasn't with her. And you can understand why Jacob was angry with her outburst. You know, he's not God. And he acknowledges it was God who withheld fruit from her womb. That's a strong suggestion, by the way, that there was something wrong in Rachel's life since the conventional wisdom of the day was that it was shame and judgment to not be able to procreate. It was shame and judgment from God. In other cultures, they would not appeal to the one true God. They would say some other God, but it still was shame and judgment. So all of this brings about friction in the Jacob-Rachel love story. But really, what it is, is two people who deeply love one another and they allow earthly considerations to come between them. And it speaks again and also 
to the inevitable problems that come whenever God's definition of marriage is compromised. One man, one woman, till death do them part. Whenever that is compromised, trouble will always come, whether it be in the time of Jacob or whether it be in the time of us. Whether it be multiple wives or whether it be divorces or gay marriage or whatever, or, or, or just sleeping around. Trouble always comes. Well, beloved, instead of pleading her case to the Lord, Rachel chooses, uh, chooses expediency instead, just like her, her grandmother Sarah did. What does she do? She gives her maid to her husband. She wants to have a child through her maid. And this appears to have been an acceptable thing to do socially in those days, to, to sidestep barrenness through owned servants, Hagar in Genesis 16, and we saw what happened there. So it was acceptable socially, but we know that spiritually this was poisonous because you know, it was just a faithless act bound to cause more problems than it would. And, and yet Jacob goes along with it. Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her. Rachel's going to have children through her. Legally, they would be hers, just like with Sarah and Hagar. And it would appear that Bilhah got pregnant almost immediately, that she bore Jacob a son, and Rachel names him Dan, meaning justice. Look again at what Rachel says here. God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. So she acknowledged God, and in her mind, in Rachel's mind, God has worked for her and vindicated her and justified her in what she did. So if that's the case, why not try a second time? And it works a second time. Bilhah is now actually a wife of Jacob. She's a lesser wife. But she does bear another son, Naphtali, which means wrestlings. With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. So Rachel is, is all about this rivalry with her sister Leah. She now feels she's one. And now Jacob is going to love her as much as he ever has, and that Rachel's going to be the object of Jacob's affections again. Well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, is, as they say, right? Look at verses 9 through 13. Leah's not going to take this without a fight. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, how fortunate. So she named him Gad. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, happy am I, for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. And so like a true rival, Leah's all about, you know, anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. That's, that's what Leah's saying here. She's not about to concede defeat. She may have stopped conceiving, but she's not about to concede. She's got a maid of her own. And, and by the way, again, I pointed this out last week, that this is exactly why the names of those maids, the fact that Laban gave these maids, this is exactly why that's mentioned in the previous chapter. Uh, Zilpah becomes Jacob's fourth wife. And you know, this is slimy. I mean, it, it used to be difficult really to fathom how people could be this way, how sisters could treat each other this way, how, how they could willingly give their uh, 
give other women to their husband, how they could get some satisfaction from these women getting pregnant by their husband, just goes to show us in those days being able to procreate to have children was that important. You know, these days it's it's just not that important in our culture. You know, children are a nuisance, or worse than that, they can be discarded before they're even born. And marriage is not seen as a covenant or a, you know, one man, one woman till death do, the, uh, do us part. It's a negotiation. It's a contract. It's something you can get out of, and you can redefine it now. You know, marriage is whatever you want it to be. And we watch TV shows and we hear about all manners of sexual immorality. There are um, TV shows celebrating polygamy and, and things like that. Men and women treating each other like this. That's not to say it was like that for Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. It was a different time. But nevertheless, Jacob, he goes along with this knowing in his heart. He's got to know in his heart. His conscience has to be convicting him. But he goes along, and during this time of his life, he seems to have just gone to whichever bed was most readily available, most desirable to him. Zilpah bears him two sons, the first Gad, meaning something like fortune. Leah says, how fortunate. The second, Asher, uh, literally means happy or with my happiness. Leah says, you know, happy am I. So Leah is overjoyed. Because now in her mind, it's six to two. Yeah, She has six, Rachel has two. She's been slighted by Jacob, but now with all these children, she's blessed. She's winning. So how would Rachel respond as if this couldn't get any ickier? Look at verses 14 through 16. Now in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah, then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, therefore, he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes, so he lay with her that night. Now, Reuben was the oldest son. Jacob now has eight sons. So Reuben is, he's at least eight years old. If we're, you know, if, if babies were born, boom, boom, boom. He's probably older than that, though. Uh, there's some time in between, and and whatnot, but he's definitely old enough to be in the field, apparently on his own, and one day, the wheat harvest comes, he, he, he's out there, he brings in these mandrakes um, to his mother. Now, mandrakes are this small, berry-like fruit, orangish in color, and here's the thing about them. In ancient cultures, like the one Jacob and Leah and Rachel lived in, Mandrakes were thought to be an aphrodisiac and to get this help with fertility. So that adds a little background to what happens here. It adds a little bit of understanding between Rachel and Leah. 
Rachel wants the mandrakes for obvious reasons, and Leah understands why she wants the mandrakes. Rachel has seen Leah match her maid for maid, and Leah has, in a manner of speaking, taken the lead back in their rivalry. Rachel thought, you know, that she had prevailed, but now Leah has taken the lead back. Rachel thinks that if she gets these mandrakes, it might help her conceive. So Leah one-ups her. You can have them, but I get Rachel to, or I get Jacob tonight. And, and Rachel agrees because, you know, what are the chances that Jacob and Leah, that Leah conceives tonight? What are the chances of that? And, and I need to get these mandrakes in my system so I can get ready for my husband. So she goes along with this, and now Leah meets Jacob in the field, coming back from the field, and I, you know, you have to think she's dressed for the occasion, and she tells Jacob about this arrangement. Jacob's probably amused by this whole thing. After all, he's the one getting the, the physical benefits from this rivalry, and so he goes into Leah, and we've gone from giving new wives to Jacob to basically buying and selling and bartering for his company. And so what happens? Well, verse 17. God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and named him, named her Dinah. So that phrase, God gave heed to Leah, indicates she was probably praying for more children and, and more so the love of her husband. And she did conceive that night, didn't she? she, she, she God gave her a fifth son, Issachar, reward. Leah sees Issachar as a reward from the Lord for having to give her maid to Jacob to get back in the lead, to get to get back in in the good graces of Jacob. And and it seemed to work as far as turning Jacob's attentions back to her because he goes into her again and she has a sixth son, Zebulun, dwelling. Recognizing this good gift is from God. Children are a gift from the Lord. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Psalm 127.3. But there's this other sad statement. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. She still longs to be first in Jacob's heart. He has ten sons, six by her, two by her maid. She still longs for that. Now, it does say here he has ten sons and a daughter. Uh, Zebulun, after Zebulun comes Dinah. Now, She's not going to be Jacob's only daughter. There are places later on in Genesis that refer to daughters, plural. We're not even told for sure that this was his first daughter. It's very possible Leah and Bilhah and Zilpah had born daughters in between sons. They just aren't mentioned. Dinah is mentioned here for reasons that will become obvious when we get to chapter 34, if you're familiar with that episode. And her name, appropriate to her place in Scripture, means judgment. And we'll see more about that later. But in any event, Jacob now has at least 11 children, 10 sons, 1 daughter. He's eventually going to have 33 children, according to Genesis 46, 15. So he's eventually going to have 12 sons, we know. 
That would make 21 daughters total. So a lot of children, many descendants. But what about Rachel? Well, God, well, let's look at what God does here. Verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. Then God remembered Rachel. And God gave her, gave heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord give me another son. And God remembered Rachel. The third time, by the way, we've seen the specific words God remembered in Genesis. And the first two are very important. And now the use of the words again brings us to something this, to signify that this is also very important. The first time we see God remembered, it has to do with Noah. Genesis verse uh, 1 of chapter 8. God remembered Noah who was in the ark with the flood and he brought an end to the flood and he brought Noah out of the ark. The second time we see it is in Genesis 19. God remembered Abraham and for Abraham's sake delivers Lot from Sodom. And now God remembered Rachel. And as he gave heed to Leah in verse 17, now he gives heed to Rachel, indicating that for all her faults, she's been praying for, for children this whole time. And God opens her womb. He takes her barrenness away. He removes her, her shame. He removes her reproach so that she conceives and finally bears Jacob a son. God has taken away my reproach, she said. She knows this isn't the mandrakes working this is God. She knows that. She's been sufficiently humbled. And now she was the beneficiary of God's grace. Now, interestingly, the name Joseph can be derived from both the phrase take away and may he add. God has taken away her shame and now she was praying for another son, that God might, might add another son. And beloved, this is how this passage ultimately points you and me tonight to the gospel. Because tonight, you and I are here, and if we're in Christ, if we have received the gift of everlasting life, it is only because God has seen fit by His grace to remove our shame, to remove our approach. You know, just as Jacob or uh, just as Rachel couldn't make herself pregnant, it took an act of God. We cannot take away our own shame. You cannot take away your own reproach. It takes an act of God, and He has acted. God the Father has sent God the Son, Jesus, to take away the sin of the world so that more sons may be added to His kingdom. The birth of these sons, then, is a reminder to us of what Christ has done for us, and the birth of these sons these ancestors of the 12 tribes of Israel is the fulfillment of God's promise to Jacob. And it is the outworking of the Abrahamic covenant. Through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Through one of those sons, Judah, God's king Messiah, Jesus, would eventually come. So when we read this, we need to read this looking through the contest of the wives, through the, the real housewives of Haran, through the ickiness of it all, and see God's faithfulness and his blessing upon Jacob. Those are the real dominant themes of this passage. 
God's sovereign provision of a promised seed, which is even recognized by the women themselves. As they, despite their rivalry, despite their jealousy, despite their pettiness, even they, in the midst of all this, have acknowledged the Lord's control over it all. So in the same way, may God overcome our sins to accomplish his will in and through us. May we too, beloved, acknowledge the Lord's faithfulness and control over our lives. And like Rachel, come to a place of humility where we live in constant thankfulness that he has removed our approach through the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. Just as this last son mentioned here, Joseph is eventually going to be a deliverer. Jesus is our deliverer, and thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, and we ask your blessing upon us tonight. I ask, Father, that you might bestow your grace upon us. We don't deserve it, but Lord, we pray you'll overcome our sins to accomplish your will through us. May we recognize your control, your sovereignty, and your provision for us. And may we resist the temptation to resent or become jealous or let any other sins stop us from seeing you as you are and living obediently and faithfully for you in response to the grace you've shown us through Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.